Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the UW Film Club podcast, where each week we invite a member of the club onto the show to talk about a movie of their choosing. Whether that movie be good, bad, topically relevant, or anything in between, anything goes. I'm one of your hosts, Greg Arrieta, and joining me, as always, is Cynthia Lee. Yeah, hello. Oh, I got yeah. it. And uh, this week, not a current member, but we're going with an alumni, Ooh. Megan Burnovich. <laughs> recent, recent alumni. Recent, yeah. Uh, so Megan, uh, I don't know who you are. Uh, give us a little <laughs> yeah. bit of introduction of who you will. T- tell tell the people. Oh, okay. About introduction um, about yourself. Who yeah. Are you? So uh, I am a UW Film Club uh, alum who graduated this last year. Um, I'm local to Seattle, working in uh, the Seattle International Film Festival, um, as well as working film publicity for independent stuff in Seattle. Um, so that's kind of my background, and um, yeah, if you guys are ready, uh, then we can just go right into uh, my personal favorite film of all time, um, and some of my favorite performances, and my very, very favorite uh, final girl, sort <laughs> of, um, which will be uh, Alien. What, what is this film, Alien? Um, I haven't heard you talk about it. <laughs> Once. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely not wearing a shirt that just says Sigourney Weaver on it. Nope. Not, not, no, at not at all. So, uh, Alien is a uh, kind of one of the vanguard sci-fi horror films of the 80s, that kind of um, very specific genre. It's directed by Ridley Scott, screenplay by Dan O'Bannon, and uh, art design by a Swiss artist named H.R. Giger, uh, Hans Rudi Giger who took inspiration from Lovecraft and uh, is just overall a very interesting and bizarre person. And uh, Alien actually made its premiere at the Seattle International Film Festival in May of 1979. Yeah, if we don't get that Alien documentary this year, I'm going to be pretty upset. I will cry. (laughs) I will cry a lot. (laughs) What's it called? What's the doc called? Um, It's it's called Memory. It's like a giant... It analyzes every... The whole thing. It's like an hour and a half video essay, isn't it? Yes. I don't know a ton about it detail-wise. I don't think they've released a whole lot yet. But um, it's about kind of the ramping up to the making of Alien and it, all its artistic influences, I believe. I already started off the podcast strong. Way more organized <laughs> than I ever we both are. <laughs> when I was invited to come and do this, I wrote a lot of notes and talking points because um, I, I just think... Gotta go yeah, hard. <laughs> it deserves it, in my opinion. And um, it's fascinating film that I never get tired of. Now watched it twice in the past week leading up to this. And each time I kind of thought of new things. So um, I will try not to run too long <laughs> about it. Yeah, we got plenty of time. <laughs> All right, so already doing most of my bits. I'm gonna sit back <laughs> and relax. Uh, we usually let the guest uh, do the synopsis. Do the synopsis. <laughs> Give us the pitch, Megan. Pitch sure. us on. Sell me on this movie. So uh, the film takes place beginning with the Nostromo, which is a um, spaceship carrying twenty million tons of space ore from a location back to Earth, and mid trip. Uh, all its crewmates are woken up from uh, hypersleep in order to investigate a mysterious ping of some sort of distress signal coming from a planetoid, uh, which they then go to investigate. They find a 
destroyed alien ship within being the uh, space jockey who is driving it. Um, and then beneath that, they find some uh, mysterious eggs. Uh, get very up close and personal with those. One of the crew members uh, comes in very close contact. Uh, it hugs onto his face. They take him back to the ship. The alien exits him, <laughs> grows quickly, and uh, begins picking off one by one uh, the members of the crew. Where's the John Denver? Is the question. Where's the country roads that take me home? Uh, in in hell, uh, in hell where where Alien Covenant uh, came from. Savage. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, where to begin? Uh, we got the synopsis out of the way. You seem to be the expert. What is the what is the one thing that's bursting out of your chest that you want to just want to get out? Uh, I think before the film even begins, it's really interesting to think of its predecessors and how extremely derivative this film is. Uh, and researching into it a little bit, Dan O'Bannon, the screenwriter, uh, was inspired by uh, some early John Carpenter films that he worked on, uh, as well as uh, some of his work early in the process of Dune. Um, of course, 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, which cemented the sci-fi, like, intergalactic science fiction film. Yeah, yeah, not a lot of people have seen it. It's kind of been lost to time, yeah. but it's a good one. Like, it's pretty good. Super straightforward. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> one a reading. really quick, easy, quick watch. Yeah. And one viewing, you're done. <laughs> yeah, you get everything. <laughs> but yeah, that, a lot of other horror films, but also uh, Joseph Conrad's writing, which I didn't really realize, but now that I know that, I see it everywhere. The um, ship is named after one of Joseph Conrad's Books, yes. Yeah. 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 That is I've read that. Some more production facts. It was really difficult on set for a lot of people. Um, the entire creative department had a ton of differences. They were conflicting constantly. Um, I read that Dan O'Bannon was actually banished from the shoot at a certain point, <laughs> and Ridley Scott eventually just started avoiding the actors whenever he could because he didn't want to um, get into arguments with them. So it was. Not necessarily the most smooth production process, but I'd say that the finished product is well worth it. With those characters, let's talk about the cast, right? Because the cast is pretty important here. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. You yeah. talked about like the final girl in terms of this film plays out very much kind of like a slasher. Yeah. It goes from a cast of seven. Seven. Mm-hmm. Team of seven, uh, and they slowly get picked off one by one by this alien. Yeah. So Halloween comes out in 1978, so it kind of getting, you know, we don't know how much influence is, but you can see, yeah. like, you know, the slasher comes, is supposed to be from that, it's like one of the major touch points, mm-hmm. touching stones. Yeah, totally. Where it goes out, and then Alien is, is more, is science fiction, but it does have that slasher element. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Sure. I think, and also that develops pretty late on in the film, probably around, like, the halfway mark it mm-hmm. kind of veers into that direction after being a very, like, sci-fi uh, exploration-type film, opening-wise. But, yeah, I think it's really interesting that uh, from the beginning, it's not cut and dry who the main character is because it starts off with pretty heavy focus on Captain Dallas and Kane, 
Cain being the first who wakes up. He kind of becomes this red herring of a protagonist, and he's the one who's like gung-ho about everything, kind of like the guy that you want to pay attention to the most. He's British, like he's interesting. Um, It's really funny, John Hurt actually was convinced to do the film and be cast uh, the night before they started, so he was handed a script (laughs) that morning, and um, I mean... You, you wouldn't know because he's incredible, but uh, it, it's funny. And actually, he's not the only one who was in that kind of situation. Uh, Veronica Cartwright, who was playing Lambert, who's the navigator in the Nostromo, she was under the impression that she was going to be cast as Ripley, but she got on set, found the costuming department, and was given all of Lambert's uh, gear. She got ghosted. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. And so... Um, not ghosted. Well, Ridley did the ghost and he wouldn't talk to them. But yeah. <laughs> they, the old bait switch, she got stuck with the short end of the stick on that one. Exactly. Which is interesting because she's an old established uh, compared to Weaver. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Weaver had only done stage stuff, no film, uh, before Alien. And they were really, really campaigning to get her on board. And she wasn't sure about that. But I can't I can't imagine anything else. Um <laughs> And yeah, Veronica Cartwright had been in The Birds. Yeah. She was the little girl. And so, uh, yeah, it's funny how things shook out, but it's perfect in my opinion. So we got, we got you mentioned a few, and we got Ash. Yes. Oh, For, yes. Ash. Ash, Ash is the cyborg. Spoilers yes. in the Spoilers. podcast. Yeah, you yeah, haven't yeah. seen oh, Alien. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't seen Alien yet, that's your problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, please do that. You've had 30, 40 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, we got Ash the cyborg. Uh, Lambert is the navigator. Captain Dallas, Kane, who's uh, essentially like the first mate character. Ripley, who's something of a warrant officer. It's never quite clear. And then Brett and Parker are in the engineering uh, realm. And then, of course, Jonesy, who is the <laughs> faithful ship cat. Eighth man. <laughs> yeah. Jonesy, so, bastard. <laughs> he's not a very, like... He is a very like sweet cat, but he also is a real jerk. Like, <laughs> yeah. He, he is the he is the source of I think two or three different jump scares throughout yeah. the film. Yep. Also, um, like when Brett is getting devoured, the cat. He's just like watching. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's your Twitter banner. It is. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a beautiful shot of a beautiful kitten. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's an interesting cast. And a uh, set of characters, uh, especially because it shakes out very differently than you expect with Ripley being this final survivor, again, cementing what came the year before being the final girl, this <laughs> rise of this uh, trope. But I think she's definitely stand out from a lot of other final girls and a lot of specific horror films. She's very unique and very interesting. But yeah, so it's wonderful cast of characters. I think it's really neat, too, because right away, it's very different from other sci-fi films also. The opening credits, it's not like the Star Wars scroll. What a credit. (laughs) Yeah, you get the little lines that eventually you kind of shape into the title, The Alien, and um, it's very abstract and um, quick, and they get right down to business, which is hilarious because the first real sequence of dialogue in this film is... Parker having a dispute over bonuses. So Parker and Brett are definitely like these working class characters who don't really listen to their higher ups. It's a bit of a dysfunctional family crew, which is fascinating to watch because they 
really establish these firm and, and lived-in uh, relationships with each other before uh, they start killing them. So you, you care a lot. <laughs> you care a lot about them as they uh, get picked off. One of my favorite things about this film is just how simplistic it is in its pitch. Mm-hmm. It's not dealing in a lot of off-the-beaten-path yeah. subplots into, like, deep... It's, like, like not so, like, obviously where it's, like, did you catch that? Did you catch that? Like, yeah, it doesn't... Yeah. Over, it's not trying to make you overly think, really. It's not like a science fiction film that's... I don't want to say it's low concept, but it's also kind of going into, yeah. like, a high concept. Like, what if this alien... Mm-hmm. God, there's one alien on the ship and starts picking them off. Yeah, like, very clear-cut plot yeah. that doesn't really waste a lot of time. This film wastes um, no time. No, yeah, and that kind of gives it a lot of room to breathe in a metaphorical sense, I feel like, because there's a lot of imagery and points that I feel like have very deep uh, meaning just, like, on a human level. It's it's interesting. A lot of the uh, design was by H.R. Giger, who is, he is associated with, like, the Illuminati. He's a fascinating and weird man. I mean, like, if you just, like, look at a picture of him, you'll be like, okay, I understand. (laughs) Um, All his work is unknowable, yet very human and and sexual Mm -hmm. and um, inspired by a lot of different stuff. He asked in his development process of the, the spaceship, uh, that they find, he just asked one day, he goes, I need bones. And they brought him a bunch of bones to uh, to kind of build off of. And I feel like that really like reflects in that environment, but also in the Nostromo itself, these ideas of kind of these wild dreams of humanity to take to the stars and then travel intergalactically. But also they do it in the name of a company for some capitalist purpose and it's rusted out and claustrophobic and mm-hmm. it's not this beautiful dream it's sort of this everyday life and and also the characters too they're they're freighters they're not mm-hmm. dream seekers they're doing their job and yeah i think like the design also just really reflects that and it has a lot of kind of relationships to its time culturally but also just like the human condition so Fascinating. The design is very organic, especially yeah. when you get not on the Nostromo, but organic when you get the alien ship, right? Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. It's something that's it's very sexual. It's very yes. Yeah. It's it's and it's kind of this weird mesh of the organic and human body with mechanical, like the biomechanical sublime, essentially is what the idea is that man and machine have become one and and that is a perfect uh, living thing. Yeah, and, and the ship kind of feels living. It feels like it's kind of swallowing them alive as they go inside and explore. I was going to bring up how this ship is related to Prometheus oh, and how it connects. I have refused to watch that, so um, I don't know. Don't because do it. It, because when you see this film, you, you're like, oh, these guys, giant aliens, were only the first ones, and then they got got by this alien. This other alien. You yeah, assume the at this time the xenomorph, and they call them Prometheans, right? Yeah. <laughs> they call them the Prometheans, like, oh, this giant human looking beings got got by this alien, and it's like a, a warning. Mm-hmm. Like, these guys are much bigger than you, and they got killed by this fucking alien. Yeah. Um, and now, with these new uh, prequel, Ridley Scott's prequel trilogy, <laughs> uh, it kind of retcons it. Uh, turns out, 
these are the Prometheans. Basically, the Prometheans made a weapon, and the aliens a weapon that they yeah. made. With, yeah. Like their black goop. And yeah, and, and <laughs> Wayland Yutani has always been on board with this, you know, deal. Which it goes and it kind of like upends that earlier notion we were talking about. It's this clean, lean script about mm-hmm. this alien that comes on the ship and just kills people. Yeah. Kind of undoes that kind of like that horror thriller aspect of the film with this really convoluted kind of <laughs> backstory. So I know you don't like Prometheus. Prometheus, I like because it, it was further away from aliens. Mm-hmm. Covenant is like addressing the fact that. Prometheus was not like aliens at all. So they basically ripped the plot off, but like modify it with some like explanatory variables. Mm-hmm. And two Michael Fassbenders. Yeah, playing oh, flute. I know about that two scene. Is, <laughs> two is not better than one. I love that um, scene. He's playing the flute. Oh, God. Yeah, I think it's uh, really, it is worthwhile to compare the original alien with uh, Prometheus and, and Alien Covenant and, and just the um, design aspects of it because in Prometheus they go this direction of um, ever it looks like Starfleet like it looks like the the best that the galaxy has to offer the, the highest everything that Wayland Yutani is putting money towards it looks like an Apple product to me and and like oh, it's Apple. <laughs> Apple it's it's just so clean and sterile and and heartless and brainless and um, compared to the Nostromo, which is just a big rust bucket that they all live in. And it, it really takes all the heart out of this other space. And, and it's uninhabitable compared to the Nostromo. I mean, like, really Scott's filmography, <laughs> I feel, for me, from what I've seen in his films, he's a very visual director, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. He's, his films are as only as good as the script that he gets, right? Because he yeah. gets, like, yeah. something like The Martian, which is, like, I like The Martian. I like the book. It's, yeah. Uh, but then he does something like Exodus, Gods, and Kings, which is just, like, insane. It's, like, it's supposed to be his epic, but he doesn't write his own scripts. So, but he, like, it, all the films look great. He's yeah. a very visual director. Okay. Yeah. Didn't he do music? He did ads or something before he did films. Uh, he was in commercials. Yeah. Before, so and, and that was where he kind of built his career. Yeah, he made one film before Alien, and then after that, his next... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he went straight into Blade Runner. Yeah. Yes. Uh, which also, he yeah. had a phenomenal uh, basis for being Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. So he couldn't really, like, go wrong with it. He's very visually based, mm-hmm. and it helps a lot that he sometimes uses really, really wonderful works. I mean, is there is there a film that he writes? Is there? I film? don't believe so. I'm looking at... Um, yeah, um, actually, like, related to a lot of that point, I think another thing that makes uh, the Nostromo really effective, yeah, I mean, he, he just shot the hell out of it. Like, it looks incredible. There are some spaces that are so, um, again, claustrophobic mm-hmm. and restrained, and every corridor that you turn around, it's this sense of apprehension that you don't really want to see what's around there. There are some really gorgeous, gorgeous shots of that where it kind of fakes you out until the moment it doesn't. Uh, and there are other parts of the ship that are so enormous and you get lost in it. It's labyrinthine and it's gorgeous. I think one of the best shots is when the camera pans up into the water that's falling down onto Brett's face and you kind of realize like this ship's really big and he's... Which is like seven people. Yeah. yeah. How is that possible? I mean, yeah. people. seven Here. people, one cat and 20,000... 000... These people yeah. are like, I want to <laughs> cut and I'm like, 
for 20 million tons of ore. How are you guys not billionaires? Yeah, yeah, they're just, I mean, they're just truckers. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of the first haunted house in space, sort of, this big gothic mansion of area to explore. So, first of all, update to the Ridley Scott thing, he has not written anything. He has no writing, but he is... like, shorts. Yeah, but (laughs) the Alien Covenant shorts is conceived by... So he didn't write it. Oh, And then in 1965, he has a short written by Boy and Bicycle. It's a short film. His film, I feel like his films are only as good as the scripts that he gets. He's a very visual director. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can shoot things miraculously, but again, you get something like All the Mind in the World. <laughs> yeah. Different rabbit hole. Oh, that, yeah, that was a mess for a lot of reasons. But we won't get into that because yeah. there's no xenomorphs in that one. <laughs> uh, which would have been a huge improvement, I will say. Let's... Uh, what was the thing we were talking about? We were talking about the haunted house in space. My exposure to this kind of haunted house space was first with like the Dead Space video game. Yeah, like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Great game. That and like Prey. Have played Prey. Oh, it's it's I like um played, yeah. uh they're essentially like the alien is like a mimic and it's a, like a horror game where anything in the room could be this killer. So like my exposure to that is that game, and then I see the movie and you realize oh Dead Space is just ripping off kind yeah. of what Alien had already done. Yeah. Like every other movie after yeah. this. And, and it's ripping off all of the previous, like, informing materials. Something that Roger Lockers discussed in uh, the BFI classic for Alien is kind of this gothic tradition, which is why I mentioned, like, the gothic mansion uh, being that the past is kind of haunting the present. The idea that what has already come to pass will continue to kind of ruin the future if it is, you know, not addressed, if it's locked away, if it's feared, which I think is captured perfectly in this film in a, in a very different setting than what it was originally made for with a very different kind of uh, like gothic family, too. I have a, a quote from really Scott saying, well, it's a small excerpt, but kind of this idea of, again, going back to all these quarters and like peeking around and not being sure of what is going to be on screen. He said, uh, it's not about like what you see, it's the effect of what you think you saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that comes into play kind of skipping ahead past um, <laughs> uh, a big plot point in the film, but um, getting to the death of Brett, you don't know what it looks like yet, and so you look right past it, uh, it kind of becomes this negative space of, um, you don't realize until it's a little too late, and even then you're not quite sure what this thing is, what it looks like. And I think that's like, it gives your brain room to scare you, and to mm-hmm. think of something worse than you could ever actually see and, and think is bad. Because when you first see the alien, it's like a full-blown body shot, and you yeah. just don't even recognize it. It's hanging yeah. from the, the mm-hmm. chain, and then at first, because the, you mentioned how the uh, it's like a rustic, it's like a rust bucket spaceship. Yeah, and you yeah, all it's just, it's, yeah. And it's just and, a part yeah. of the structure, and you see like this one, just at the end of the shot, the body starts to swing into the light, and uh-huh. wait a second, and then right afterwards, he gets, Harry Dean Stanton's guy gets, it's eaten, but uh, you don't get a lot of the aliens, it's like, you're Jane. like introduced to it, like when it comes out of the yeah. That body, it's yeah. just a tail kind of thing. Yeah, so it's like, like the little... That's worm, kind of what you just boy. assume it is. Yeah. It's, even though it's growing. Yeah. You don't even know that. Yeah, the only um, hint that you get that it's yeah. molting oh, yeah. is the skin that he picks up right before. And so you have the idea that it goes through this metamorphosis very quickly. But 
I think it never quite prepares you for how, like, big <laughs> and terrifying this thing ends up being. Um, but going back to uh, its birth, uh, the chestburster moment, where where were you guys and how old were you when you first experienced the chestburster? Ten. Ten? <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's why, like, I, yeah, I've seen, I saw it when I was ten, so I didn't release watch alien until maybe last year <laughs> again mm-hmm. after that because it just completely like i was just like this is horrifying yeah it like turned me off horror for a while yeah yeah just because i was so scarred <laughs> <laughs> yeah um greg i'm pretty sure i'd seen it before it was like a pretty like famous scene yeah in yeah. a film i didn't see alien until I was, like a freshman in college so i mean i was pretty aware of it yeah going in yeah, same for me, where it was kind of part of this, like, cultural, like, conversation where, like, I saw spoofs of it, and I saw it on, like, um, like TV show, like, funny versions of that uh, before I actually saw the real thing and then watched the movie. I don't remember how old I was, but I think I saw it on, like, TV or something, and didn't quite appreciate it for all it was, but have since, you know, like, revisited it and probably around, like, yeah, going into college, I was like, yeah, this is this is the best. This is amazing. <laughs> but yeah, the chestburster, I think it's like really like that thing that it keeps popping up in our culture and we keep making that joke and kind of referencing it because I think no one's really over it. Mm-hmm. Um, that it, it, it was like, yeah, we still need to talk about this because uh, like that was terrifying and that was awful to watch. And it probably actually uh, had the same effect on the actors who did not know it was coming except for John Hurt who was rigged into it um and it's it's great it's hilarious on their faces their reactions because it's genuine and I think there's one shot of uh Ash who is this very stoic and yeah emotionless Mm -hmm. person uh who for one second just loses his cool and it's amazing (laughs) because his face just like twists um, looking at this thing and yeah it's it's kind of calling back again to previous iterations of these ideas of anxiety around birth and the trauma of birth some like Freudian ideas which are yeah. kind of mm, but um, yeah it's uh, this idea of like male birth too and mm-hmm. and, and that's all reinforced when uh, they start calling it Cain's son it's his offspring and and I think that's contributing to how horrifying it is and how disturbing and kind of taboo. And it was the first time gore really became mainstream in horror, really, after, like, Halloween, I guess. I could verify it, I don't know. It, it's kind of know. around that couple years Like Texas where Chainsaw, but like mainstream oh yeah 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 so it was that i think that and halloween were kind of those like epochs where we can start showing like really nasty bloody stuff and people are gonna sit through it in like a a real audience so but yeah it's it's wonderful it's a wonderful scene that it never gets old it's perfect i think (laughs) it's the perfect uh organism too (laughs) how does the organism grow it grows so fast in a few hours. It doesn't eat anything, so where's the, the energy to grow? I well, I mean, it ate through. It ate through Cain. That's how it got out. So it kind of. That's how it was birthed. birthed. In deep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think it's so like that's part of what's scary. A baby is born from a human, 
but it doesn't just it has to eat you don't go from a baby to a toddler without it just sitting there and molting <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying I don't to think babies lose I'm, all their skin either and I also don't think that they like eat people this alone. alien has grown too fast I just, it's a great film yeah. I'm just nitpicking I'm like how no. does this no, alien grow that question stems back out of the this is the perfect organism it's built for this exact purpose and that's why the company wants it is because they can incubate it so quickly and get it weaponized Mm -hmm. essentially does Wayland yutani know what it is when the ping occurs so like that's kind of the question is i thought it was just like a protocol thing where they're like oh well that's out there you'll get it yeah Yeah. Um, could be like a well, bunny alien, or it's not harmful, <laughs> or it could be something that yeah. wants to literally create it to murder and kill everything on site. I think the answer to that question depends on what you consider canon in the alien universe, essentially. Like, if you consider Prometheus and Covenant uh, legitimate uh, entries in dialogue. Because <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we get that stick alien, too. That really stick one. Remember when it gets birth and it's that steam coming off of it? In uh, Covenant. Yeah. It's a great shot. I like that. It's like a little stick alien that's coming out. Yeah. It's like... uh He's a little guy. And he grows quick. I like the... There's some good parts in Covenant. I like it. Remember when the blind... The blind alien dude is just there? You can't convince me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not here for a debate about Covenant. I'm here to talk about a good film. That's for Um... But yeah, also, I think, like, in addition to, uh, again, going back to this idea of the biomechanical sublime, that it's this perfect orga- organism, it's, it's fascinating because, like, we can't understand it because we don't have any frame of reference other than, oh, it grows quicker than our babies. <laughs> um, but it, it's this perfect killing machine without any conscience or um, morality. And yeah, and I think its relationship to Ash specifically is. Uh, really interesting. Um, one of my rewatches, I was specifically like watching for everything Ash says, everything where he doesn't quite reveal his motives or condemn himself, but is instead just fascinated by this thing. And I also um, love all of the not so subtle, but still hints that you don't pick up unless you know. Um, the like the shot of. Work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, an android and. Um, like the shot of him with Ripley kind of arguing about uh, their col- him still collating with mother, um, and then also his uh, he's just drinking milk in that scene, <laughs> which I think is is a great little um, precursor to what is to come. And he's sweating the milk too. Uh, he yeah. sweats it. Yeah, he like bumps <laughs> his head and it starts like running out of him. Yeah, I think he he is also super fascinating in that idea of he's kind of this perfect inhuman human and also has this very like visceral and um, kind of uh, killing machine, but he still believes that he himself is imperfect in a way. And it's like Michael. <laughs> I, I, I love when they tear, tear him open, essentially, and... It's not what like what you would expect of a typical android. Like, there's no like wires and flashing. The design lights. is like, very cool. It's yeah, like, oh, it's super unique. It's milky and all the wires. Yeah. Have, like, tapioca these... balls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what they are. Are they? No, oh. no, but that's always what I think. I think they actually did use like some sort of gross like tapioca. Um, it looks like it in the first couple shots where there's like small 
little orbs. Uh, but yeah, like his his whole um, internal systems are really uh, unexpected and, and cool. Um, and I think that's something that also makes this film stand out is that it's not like your typical robot under human skin. It is like a very like unique design. I think my first intro, I remember seeing Bishop's character in Aliens mm-hmm. first over uh, Ash. I remember seeing, because like in Bishop, Bishop's character is also very much about like kind of like talking head. Bishop's good in the, Bishop's good in Aliens, right? Yeah, Bishop mm-hmm. ends up being um, one of the uh, good guys who makes it to the end. Um, and I, I think he's like one of the best parts of Aliens. Um, he's a wonderful character, and I think he's like a wonderful foil to everyone who has now since been experiencing or has been exposed to Ash. Um, like we're in the same shoes of Ripley, who will not believe that he's to be trusted. Yeah, like the design in terms of like this wet, this white milky substance kind of goes back to that like that sexual idea. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> so like, I first saw it because like you see it in like uh, I saw it in Aliens, and I see it here. And I liked that they show, I can't recall aliens, but I remember, I like seeing the internals and how, like, they're kind of, like, hot-wiring him to, like, speak again. Mm-hmm. But, like, the way, like, the milk spurts out of him or the way, like, it drips from his temples. Yeah, he's, mm-hmm. yeah, covered in it by the end. And they are, too. Yeah, and I, I think his whole, uh, that whole, like, struggle with Ripley is super interesting um, because it's in... I'm not sure if it's ever decided whose bunk that is. That in that little shot where he tries to kill her with the with the porn oh, magazine yeah, yeah. by shoving it down yeah. her throat. Like he has this weird um uh doubling with the alien, like this idea of like smothering. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because he's also a very like uh sexual but yet sexless thing. Um mm-hmm. yeah. I, I totally and white is like this pure clean color that mm-hmm. you would assume to be from like a robot I guess it's kind of nutrient like a milk nutrient rich yeah blood yeah yeah system but also very sexual yeah yeah this movie is just too sexual <laughs> we didn't even talk about mother oh we can oh. talk about mother mother is um, kind of this like matriarch alternative to the how 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 nine thousand yeah and mother is also kind of in she's a puppet she's yeah no puppet no puppet she's in cahoots with ash in a way like they're of course they're collating the entire Mm -hmm. film but um well she manifests within this like room uh where there's all these lights and it Mm -hmm. kind of resembles both like a a beehive with like the queen you know the Mm -hmm. queen mother and um, then you kind of fit your way back into the alien. But, um, yeah, like, she's this uh, omniscient, but very, like, womb-like. And she's not, like, sure. malicious, like, Hal. Yeah. You get that yeah. scene in Hal where it's, like, I mean, all like, these circuit no. boards. Yeah. This is kind of a similar way. She's... Uh, but she's also, like, at the... but She's, like, kind of, like, a representation of, like, the Wayland yutani thing because she is, like... Mm-hmm. Get, she's given the directive and she's enforcing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The yeah. first opening shot is the ping... And then she assumedly wakes them up. Yes. Wakes them up, re-navigates the ship to the planet. Yeah, the planetoid, yeah. Yeah, I think she's... Tell the story about the kids. The kids, we're speaking about the planet. Tell the story about the kids in the spacesuits. Oh, yeah. Um, So to kind of like (laughs) get a little bit off track, but we'll get back on. 
Um, yeah, so how they were able to achieve this kind of grand scale once they're uh, below the space jockey ship um, is they put, uh, I think it's actually Ridley Scott's own kids, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they put his kids in spacesuits and uh, made them walk uh, as if they were Lambert, Dallas, and Kane. Um, well, they walk so funny. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah, you don't see it until you know, and then you can't stop saying it. But um, yeah, that was kind of to achieve this more like grand yeah. scale. And um, I, I think it works perfectly because like they do kind of feel like kids exploring. It, yeah, we were, like, yeah. were talking about this. Like some of the sets are massive. Especially yeah. oh, like, the, yeah. the Prometheus spaceship is massive, which they, you told me was built. But I was telling him like, did they actually build this giant ship and they had these like scale replicas or was it something like where they, I was wondering if it was like some kind of special effect that rendered the background much larger than it was. Um, I think it's a mixture of both. It varies. They, they, they employ both like hard, like solid backgrounds and then also kind of use some cinematic tricks uh, to get it to look a little bit more impressive. Um, I'm not sure which is which necessarily unless I like look really close at it but I think they do use both but the yeah the interior of the Nostromo is all all there um, except for a couple of these long corridors and and the interior of the alien ship more fun facts there is when they get down into the nest with all of the eggs um, and and uh, Kane falls down into there uh, he kind of passes this threshold of gas which is illuminated by a blue laser. And that is a laser that uh, Ridley Scott stole from The Who, which the band that was recording a music video next door. Hmm. So it's it's a lot of um, interesting like cinematic effects and just him being super creative and, and kind of visionary. And he has a lot to prove. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is like yeah. His, ten, this is his first major film. He had done The Duelist, which was at Cannes, according to Wikipedia. Yes. Uh, so he's got a lot to prove. Probably why he had a lot of issues with the actors because when you first directing a film I'd assume it's kind of hard yeah. to like I think it was manage a scale like that it's not an ad that's five thirty seconds it's yeah it's a miracle the film came together <laughs> honestly <laughs> with all of the uh the parts that seem to kept uh, get like keep going uh sideways it's also amazing that we're lucky that Jodorowsky's tune didn't happen yeah otherwise he wouldn't have had the alien design yeah um, good thing he didn't pick it <laughs> Yeah, um, and yeah, that Dan, o, uh, Dan O'Bannon was then able to kind of transfer projects um, and steal some stuff and, and uh, reappropriate it for his own needs. I think it's, it's really neat to watch that in like 2001 back-to-back, though, with like the idea of artificial intelligence and spaceships and uh, yeah, all, all this stuff that makes both those films really, really good and unique and... And relevant long, long after they've premiered. Wasn't there a story about the eggs where they said, this oh, looks like yeah. a vagina, you can't... <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in order to uh, appease countries that uh, were going to be a little more strict sensor-wise, uh, they had to tell H.R. Giger that he couldn't have this single slit in the top of the egg. And so he just came back and gave them a double vagina, uh, <laughs> as he described it. But yeah, it, it's... It's funny because it's just brimming with this um, energy that somehow is very out of place, yet uh, is perfect. And there's a lot of that with Ripley, too, um, and on her being the female protagonist, especially um, at the end. She's a very non-feminine, very, like, almost mm-hmm. androgynous type character who could be, you know, of 
any gender essentially but I think it's interesting at the end how they definitely do establish like with her body being like when she like gets out of her jumpsuit and stuff and is preparing to like get into the little pod that she's essentially in her underwear and I think that it is partially like this idea of like the the filmmaker the male gaze leering in on her but um, I also, I think that there are multiple interpretations to it, that there's um, feminist and queer theory that also is more empowering in that scene, or it's more just the idea of like the human body being, and I, I think it's, I'm paraphrasing a quote from her, that she goes from being uh, a dark green animal to being a pink and white animal, um, which I think is fascinating. And we begin to see her, kind of from the perspective of the xenomorph being this more soft and vulnerable thing all of a sudden mm-hmm. when she thinks she's safe. Yeah, and, and so I think there's a lot of like interesting gender dynamics going on there too, uh, where the alien becomes this kind of like masculine thing and, and she becomes something more feminine, but um, definitely still debated. Um, and I think it's definitely an interesting like debate to engage in. The ending is always the one that comes up in terms of the hotly contested whether or not it's it's sexualized or like if it's more feminist yeah yeah and i i lean into her idea being that it is that it's just something of she's let her guard down um and we're kind of seeing her from this predatory like we're supposed to align ourselves with the predator being not not the predator uh he's he comes in later uh but the the xenomorph yeah who eventually fights the predator we're not going to talk about those. <laughs> but we need to talk about the cinematic universe. Yeah. Um, yeah, we can talk about it. Uh, we can go, like, all the way through. Yeah. yeah podcast. So, I mean, after Alien came Aliens with James Cameron. Cameron. James Cameron. Um, it's definitely a genre shift into something more of, like, a very, like, blockbastic mm-hmm. war film. And then Alien 3 uh, also shifts again with David but, Fincher. But that film, like, a... Uh, studio nightmare. Oh, self-proclaimed, uh, absolutely disowned Wait, film what? that David, production David Fincher yeah. is very much not. It's like not a great film. Okay, Alien Three. Great. Uh, I've only seen Alien and Aliens. <laughs> but it was David Fincher's directorial debut, and he's just like, yeah, that's not my film because the studio kept wanting to change and shift things around. Yeah, um, it's a total Frankenstein. Is but... it that the one where she's in the prison, or is that? Resurrection. Yeah, that's the one where they land on Fiorina, and um, they totally retcon. Uh, they kill everyone but her, uh, even though they a lot of them escaped from the previous from aliens. Yeah, so it's it's just a total mess, honestly. Like I think it's it's worth seeing, but not considering it a solid piece of the canon. Um, I actually highly recommend it's uh, in the process of being released uh, a comic book about the unproduced, or it's a comic book that is the unproduced screenplay of Alien 3, written by William Gibson, and it's in uh, release right now. I think they are on, like, issue five or something. Uh, It's really good. It's gorgeous art, and it's uh, very sticking to this uh, alternate screenplay, alternate kind of reality of what happens in Alien Three. But then she becomes an NBA superstar in this <laughs> Yes. What? Um, oh, she... But she actually made the shot. Yeah, she actually sunk a three-pointer uh, by tossing it over her back 
And um, I'm pretty sure it was like the first attempt too, wasn't it? I, I think so. I'm not sure. There's a wonderful <laughs> video of her it's, talking about it. And <laughs> I, was, I saw it on Twitter. It was Ron Perlman talking about how impressed yeah. he was. Yeah, and it, like they had to, I think they had to like cut away from him because he couldn't stop smiling. He was like cheering for her because um, she actually made the shot. Yeah, so uh, Alien Resurrection's just a sports drama. Um. Airbud. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, she's a clone in that movie, isn't she? Yeah, and Winona oh Ryder's there gosh. too. Yeah. Um, oh my that's gosh. That's the one that made the alien dog too. Oh, yeah. It, uh, no, I thought that was Alien 3. I think that's How did Ridley Scott be like, yeah, this is okay. Yeah, do this for you, my, <laughs> like, my baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ridley well, Scott wants to make five more. I'm fine if he aliens, does it, but, but like... he's not going to get money. Yeah. He, yeah. The last one didn't do that great at the box office. Not going to get a sequel. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, we had Alien v. Predator, or Alien vs. Predator. I would love to see, like, a court drama that's Alien v. Predator. Um, but uh, then we had Prometheus and Covenant, and I, I consider them just unwatchable. Like I've seen them <laughs> enough. Uh, they are just brainless and and dreary, and they're they they're like um, too familiar. Which ones? The world, uh, Alien and Alien Covenant and Prometheus. Sorry. Oh yeah. Well, Covenant is just it's so clearly him trying to appease the negative reception to Prometheus, which was. What the fuck was that? Yeah. How does that fit with Alien at all? Yeah. Which I liked because it was, you know, going different. But Covenant is so clearly just like, okay, we're going to take the basic premise of the first one. Like, kind of update the visuals and, like, clarify what happened in Prometheus. Yeah. <laughs> and and then take out all of the, I like, like the significant and meaningful imagery. and. I like the black the... ink bomb that they drop. <laughs> do, you, yeah. do you do you like I'm, I'm glad that you like it like disapproving um, yeah and um yeah i i think you can watch alien aliens and then read the comic uh it's wonderful there's actually a lot of really good alien uh comic books out there that exist within like the universe like um uh other explorations and, and stuff like that that run into xenomorphs yeah it's it's a very uh a turbulent and um but they're like fun to watch a little bit you can accept, <laughs> accept alien and aliens for what they are which are great films they're also extraordinary fun to watch. Oh, yeah. they're wonderful maybe accept them for what they are is not the right verbiage you yeah. want to use mm-hmm. there uh, they're great watch them yes uh the correct verbiage you say watch alien 3 and resurrection for what they are the yes. correct ones yes i bought as the flea market this past summer and I bought they had a DVD box set of all four of the films. Two dollars. Like, can't pass wow. this up. Wow. Bought it for two dollars. Worth two dollars. <laughs> Great deal. Bought them all. Watched them all. I didn't go into the AVP series, but it was fine. Something um, tells me I'm not gonna miss much. I I feel like those films are very much in favor of the Predator. Also. Well, yeah, it demonizes the alien. How yeah. dare they? Uh, yeah, and I think, like, it's easy to do, because the alien is a lot more of, like, an animal than, like, a... It's it's harder to... The alien is just there to uh, kill... Anthropomorphize the alien than the predator. So if I recall correctly, there's, like, a pyramid under Antarctica. Yeah. That they... <laughs> that they go to, and the aliens exist there. They're planted what? there. Yeah. And... Um, the predator goes to the alien, the thing, because he wants to get, like, this ultimate weapon, but the 
aliens are there and there's a bunch of them because I remember they have like they have a shot where they like engage in a massive battle with aliens climbing up the pyramid. You guys don't remember this? Yeah, I think I I purposefully um, blocked it. Blocked. <laughs> so, um, but no, yeah. This I know. is a thing. Um, and then there's an alien egg inside of that at the end of Predator Two. Yeah. Yeah. And there's an alien. No, no, no. There's an alien egg. There's alien skulls at the end of Predator Two. At the end of Predator Two, when they like go into like the war room. Yeah. Like this, ro- this trophy room. There's yeah, an yeah, Alien yeah. skull there. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And then I want to say it's at the end of. Predator or Predator... One of the Predators sure. has, like, a shot of an egg sitting in the, the ship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, that's that. It's canon. <laughs> yeah. It's like, a, it's like a Freddy versus Jason where, like, obviously, like, Freddy's, like, the worst. That, like, he's just gonna, like, beat up on Jason a lot because Jason doesn't really, like, have a lot to say. Like, he's very, like... Yeah, Freddy wants to survive because he needs souls. I love to watch that like four per like four people like cage match. Yeah, he's also oh all of them. (laughs) Yeah, Freddy versus Jason versus Alien versus Predator. We had a few of them in Mortal Kombat. (laughs) Alien was in combat, Mortal Kombat, and so was Jason. Uh huh. Just put them all in there. Yeah. We need two more. (laughs) Let's talk about. No. <laughs> no. Making a chain. Yeah. So let's go into final thoughts. I think we already know. Megan hates this film. Yeah, she clearly. Yeah, I can't believe you guys made me want. <laughs> you you made me look at Sigourney Weaver and a cat. We didn't even talk about Jones. Oh, yeah. let's talk about Jones. <laughs> final um, thoughts. Final thoughts about cat. I have yeah. a lot of thoughts about Jonesy. I think, in a lot of ways, he you kind have, of. Oh, I was say you have a Jonesy T-shirt. Really? I do, yeah, I do. Um, yeah, it was a toss up which one I would wear today, but um, yeah, I think Jonesy's super interesting also because he is this like yeah, like he's kind of this eighth character that exists but is very um, detached from them, being that he is a cat. Um, but he also adds to this like domestic sphere of the Nostromo, but is again like this inhuman kind of uh, spectator to their grisly, grisly deaths, especially Brett, who he kind of lures. And he's, yeah, he's yeah. also like a plot device. He yeah. lures them on. Yeah, and, and, and... like, it happens twice. And Ripley keeps going back for him, and, and uh, she won't let him, you know, get lost on the ship when mm-hmm. it's about to self-destruct. And, yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, interesting, like, theories about, like... About Jonesy and because he's um, a, oh sorry I keep interrupting I no it's fine <laughs> but um yeah I think like in in a sense he's kind of this other alien perspective of watching this relatively insignificant little drama play out on mm-hmm. this ship in the middle of nowhere in space and um, he's like a pure observer doesn't yeah yeah he's very like, passive yeah is still a player. I guess. I mean, like, we're reading a lot into a cat. Like, there's that one <laughs> shot where the alien, like, breathes over it. Yeah, and yeah. And it just doesn't kill it. Yeah, He's yeah. too pure. Yeah. He also couldn't get to it, but, like... I, mean, <laughs> yeah, I feel like the alien could rip open that fucking box. Oh, yeah. Oh, could for get sure. In there. But, I mean, like, in a sense, isn't the domesticated cat also the perfect killing machine? Cat, perfect There's that meme that goes around where a cat could literally just kill us. Well, they, they're... Any they're, moment in time, the cat could kill us. Yeah, yeah. Cat, cats are um, the I think the most destructive invasive sh- species out there. 
You're just too good at reproducing, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they are the They kill they for are fun, the too. Yeah, and I, yeah, I think there's, a, there's you know, some, some actual, like, footing to these ideas of, like, cats are, like, the aliens that we, like, keep in our houses. <laughs> Do you like my conspiracy theory? This is, this is a podcast about cats. Yeah, cats being aliens. Every Monday, yeah. yeah you asked me to come on here. <laughs> you knew what you were getting yourselves into. Uh, now, with Jonesy out of the way, we'll continue on to our... We've naturally back right into Final, Final Thoughts. Final Thoughts. <laughs> Megan hates this film. Stop I, saying. I love this film. <laughs> Megan, I don't, I've never heard her talk about this film once, ever. Until now. Yeah. Mm. Never seen thoughts. her wear those shirts. <laughs> Cynthia, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, just great film. I'm glad I actually decided to watch it again after my 10 year old scare but <laughs> yeah 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 i mean it's perfect it's a really great film it's structurally gorgeous yeah yeah incredible um yeah i'm glad you were able to kind of like uh <laughs> Come back. that that fear um, <laughs> and, and experience the chestburster again let chestburster into your heart yeah every time i watch it i have to like someone has to like hold me back <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a fun movie to watch with other people and especially watch with people. I've had the wonderful, wonderful pleasure of showing it to someone who has never seen it before and didn't necessarily see everything coming. Um, And I wasn't watching the film, I was just watching her. Um, Because it's just so fun um, to to kind of watch this uh, wonderful, wonderful thing kind of uh, unravel and and display itself before you. Uh, My final thoughts on the film... Terrific use of science fiction. Uh, incredibly well executed, lean story. Keeps you engaged in terms of... And it's just like a, a story... Like it keeps you engaged with a story that's easy to follow, but also kind of like suspenseful. You have like this horror aspect to it. Great visual language it's working with. Just overall, one of the greatest science fiction films of all times. Not only because of what it pulls from, but what it goes on to inspire. Oh, yeah. You ever seen Event Horizon? Uh, I actually, uh, that's in my notes as a film that I'd recommend after seeing this is Event Horizon because it, it goes a lot more into like the psychological um, aspects of a, a different kind of monster. I really enjoyed Event Horizon. It's, it's a lovely, it. lovely, wonderful film. Um, what's the Australian actor that's in it? Who's Sam Neill. Yes, Sam Neill. Um, Directed by Paul, not Paul Thomas Anderson. Paul Thomas. The other Anderson. Paul W.S. Yeah, Paul W.S. Anderson. He has a Resident Evil film. Um, it's film. His, I think uh, Event Horizon is his best film, honestly. Um, it's extremely good. People will contest. People love Resident Evil. Film to people on film Twitter love it. Like David Sims. David Sims love it. Funny. But yeah, a great linear plot, great visual flair, great science fiction film. Love great. it. It's the perfect <laughs> organism. Perfect killing machine. <laughs> I read somewhere where it was like, this film, like, describes itself. It's, like, perfectly structured with just a lot of, like... I forgot the line. Yuck. But, like, yeah. Yeah. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. Its structural perfection is matched only by its hostility. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, we're going to end it. Thank you, Megan, for coming on the show. Oh, it was my pleasure. Uh, where can we find you? Is there anything you want to plug? <laughs> oh, sure. Um, yeah, my Twitter is... Um, well, when we record this, it's going to get a lot of um, angry stuff about the Oscars. Uh, I'm at <laughs> Megan Burnovich, and then uh, my letterbox is uh, Megan Bernie. 
yeah, so if you want to check me out there, I'll be re-watching Alien and giving it five stars every time. <laughs> but that should do it for this episode of the UW Film Club podcast. We post every Monday at 8 a.m. on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Got all four. Yes. <laughs> You can find us on Facebook at UW Film Club. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at Film Club UW. Please use our Amazon Smile links or mm-hmm. MacWeldon or Wix or uh, HelloFresh. Yeah, MeUndies. Lisa mattresses. Casper mattresses. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. What are those? The new ones, the BetterHelp. Better. Oh, we we don't associate with the BetterHelp. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we no, don't no, want we, controversy. We no BetterHelp. <laughs> Uh, we do hymns, hymns, <laughs> take hymns money. But that should do it. Thank you, Megan, once again. We appreciate alumni coming on, talking about their favorite films. Until next time, bye, guys. Bye. bye.